John 5 this morning, and actually we're going to skip around a little bit more this morning than we normally do related to the scriptures we'll look at. Before we jump in there, you know, I think it was 1971, although I could be wrong, but anyway, when the U.S. Supreme Court legalized abortion, they did so by stating that the Constitution within its right to privacy clause contained the right to abortion. Now, of course, there's absolutely no question that the founders of the Constitution, those who wrote it, never had abortion in mind when they said that citizens in the United States had a right to privacy. Their original intent had nothing to do with abortion, but the court said that it did and thereby gave legal protection to abortion on demand and has ever since. But if we go back to the founders and say, is this what you meant? Of course, they'd say, no way, no how. That had nothing to do with their intention in what they wrote down in the Constitution. Their original intent was stood, as it were, on its head. The original intent was lost. It was, we could say, perverted or turned around into something it was never meant to be. If you remember when we studied through John 3, in verse 14, Jesus had said to Nicodemus, he said uh, that like Moses raised a serpent, up on a pole, he, the Son of Man, would be raised up on a pole. And we talked about that story in Numbers 21 in which God sent these biting snakes to the camp of Israel because they'd been in rebellion. God was saying he wasn't going to have it. So when the snakes bit them, they were dying. So they come to Moses and they said, Man, we were out of line. What do we do about these snakes? So God's provision was to Moses, he says, you make an image of those snakes. You make a shining bronze serpent, a statue. You hoist it up on the pole, and the image of death itself will become the way of life. Tell them to look at the serpent, and they'll live. And they did. This bronze serpent, made by Moses, lifted up on a pole, became a way of life. Gave life to those who were bitten and doomed to death otherwise. Generations later, you can read, good King Hezekiah comes along, and he takes the symbol of life, and you know what he does with it? He breaks it. He destroys it. Why? Because the symbol had lost its original intent. And this symbol, the symbol of death, for the Jews turned to it, it becomes the symbol of life. It had become an idol. <laughs> it was an idol. They were worshiping the statue. The original intent of the snake, this image, was lost. It was turned on its head. It was upside down. It was a reminder to them to turn to God, believe in Him. You don't have to do any work to be saved. Just look at this symbol of death and you'll live. And they turned it into an idol. And so good King Hezekiah destroys it because it had lost its original intent. With those things in mind, I want to look in John 5 this morning. We're only in a few verses, verses 15 through 18, and as I said last week, we'll actually focus only on one issue here in this passage this morning, and that is the Sabbath itself. And the question sort of becomes, how did something that God had meant for blessing become a curse? How did the Sabbath become a curse? What in the world happened? John 5, verses 15 through 18. If you remember, in the first part of this chapter, Jesus comes to Jerusalem there's all those lame people at the pool of Bethesda. And to a guy that doesn't know who he is, doesn't ask for any help, Jesus says, do you want to get healed? And Jesus heals him. 
the man picks up his pallet because Jesus tells him to and starts walking around. And the Pharisees, the leaders, see him and say, what in the world are you doing carrying your pallet on the Sabbath? He says, the guy who healed me told me to. Their question then is, well, who told you to? And he doesn't know. And in the last verse we looked at, verse 14, Jesus comes up to him and says, hey, you've been healed. Stop sinning so that nothing worse happens to you. And the man now knows who healed him. And that's where we pick up at verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. He was, in their mind, working on the Sabbath through healing. But he answered them and said, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. We're not going to get into the last part of that verse 18 today, but we're going to focus on the Sabbath. The Sabbath becomes the sticking point between Jesus and the Jews. And when we say the Jews here, we mean the Jewish leaders and primarily, most often, the Pharisees. So, what is the deal with the Sabbath? What's the issue? What's the issue for Jesus and what's the issue for the Pharisees? <clears throat> the Sabbath was serious business for the Jews and there's reasons for that. Before we look at that, though, we want to remember, we want to go back and see... What's the original intent of the Sabbath? And to do that, we have to go back way before Moses. We've got to go back to Genesis 2. You can turn there if you want. Genesis 2 and Matthew 12 we'll spend a little bit of time in. Typically, if you're studying your Bible and you want to learn about original intent of anything, you go back to its first use. When it's the first time a word is used is important in how to understand what its meaning is elsewhere. It's not always definitive, but it's where you start. And certainly that's true with this subject about the Sabbath. Where did it come from? Why, why is there a Sabbath? The Sabbath was kept or known or celebrated long before the law was given at Sinai. And in fact, in Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, we read, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their host. And by the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. He rested, it says in the English translations, but the Hebrew is Shabbat. He Shabbat, and, our, and the Sabbath comes from this term, Shabbat. He rested, he Shabbat on the seventh day. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified, or made it holy, set it apart, because in it he rested, Shabbat, from all his work which he had created and made. So back to original intent, the Sabbath, Moses talks about in Genesis 2. God said, creation's done, the work is all over, and so on the last day of the week of creation, God says, he had ceased from his work, he rested from his work. The thought is not that God needs to rest, he doesn't get tired. But the work was completed, so it was a day of rest or cessation from labor. <clears throat> To develop this a little more fully and to connect this with where we're going, remember that in the six days of creation, do you remember where man is? He's on day six. Man is the last of God's creation. He's not even created at the beginning, perhaps, of day six. He's created somewhere in day six, right? He's the pinnacle of God's creation. Everything else is set in order. 
And man, like the monarch, is brought in last, given kind of the most glorious, glorious entrance, so to speak, on the stage of creation. What does that mean, though? Man is the last thing created. That means man's first full day is when? It's the Sabbath. The Sabbath is man's first waking day. In other words, his introduction to God's world is the day in which God is doing no work. The work is already all done. Adam is brought in at the, as the last component of creation on the last day God's actually laboring so that his first full day is with God on God's day of rest. If we're thinking, God, what's in your mind with the Sabbath? What's the original intent? It seems to be this. God creates all the universe just so he can put us on it, Adam and Eve, in our parents, Adam and Eve. And the first full day he gives them, he's not doing anything but what? Hanging out with them. So as I understand it, God's original intent for the Sabbath was to have undistracted devotion from and fellowship with man. Man and woman, Adam and Eve, you and I, as it were. God's original intent is that he would welcome man into his world, into his universe, not as somebody who had work to do, not as someone who had a commission to fulfill. He enters God's universe on God's day of rest. God's not asking him to do anything. He's welcoming him to his universe on the day of rest. I understand that to be God's original intent for the Sabbath. If that's true, what in the world happened between Genesis 2 and John 5? What happened? Now, I'm going to go through some things here in Exodus. Uh, it's not to minimize the guilt of the Jewish leaders. I mean, these guys were total hypocrites. But if we say, why would they have a big issue in their mind about the Sabbath? There certainly are very legitimate reasons. Listen to this out of Exodus 20. You remember in Exodus 20, God comes down in fire and smoke and trumpets to Mount Sinai. He wants to terrify the Jews so that they'll obey. And he gives them the law of Moses, what we call the Old Covenant. And within the Old Covenant, of course, are the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments. And the fourth of those is the Sabbath. So in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, God said to Moses, for the Jews, Remember the Sabbath, the seventh day, the rest day, to keep it holy. It's set apart from every other day of the week. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Six days. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God, a rest day of the Lord your God, in it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or the sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, the rest day, and made it holy." God commanded to the Jews as part of the covenant to keep the Sabbath separate, holy, to keep this rest day. And it's got some fairly stringent guidelines. <clears throat> I suspect this is because 
you guys know the law was given and it was understood the law would never save anyone. It couldn't save anyone because it was a standard to meet. And you and I don't meet the standard and no one else does either. And Paul makes this clear in Galatians. But I think the reason the Sabbath becomes so important in the law and why the requirements around it are so stringent is because it was a tangible day, a tangible means of maybe giving an example to the great, the one great commandment. And this is true whether this was embodied in the law or not. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And I think as a symbol of that, God says on every seventh day, I don't want you to do anything except hang out with me. I want you to be devoted to me, and as a symbol of that, a tangible means of your love for me, I want you to do nothing on every seventh day except hang out with me. So keep this rest day, God says through Moses and the law, keep it separate from every other day, and again, I think it gets most of its importance because it was a tangible means of displaying love for, faith in God, the God of the covenant. You know, the call of God through the covenant or through any other means, God's call for you or I to himself is always a call to life. God is life. If we say no to God, we say no to life. And this may be perhaps why the uh, failure to keep the Sabbath was so severe. Exodus 31, 14 says, Therefore you are to observe the Sabbath. It is holy to you. It's separate. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath, a rest, of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. Exodus 35.2 says the same thing. In fact, there's a story in Numbers in which a man is put to death for working on the Sabbath. Stringent. This is a big deal, Gail. We've got to leave the saws at home on this, if we're a Jew on the Sabbath. An example of what God constituted as work, Exodus 35, God said, you shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. In other words, don't even go to the trouble to make a fire. And if you remember Israel's journey in the wilderness, God said, I'm going to give you this manna every day, except gather twice as much on Friday. Because on the Sabbath, there's going to be no manna. Because he didn't even want them going out into the field to collect manna on the Sabbath. So they collected twice as much the day before. So these are pretty stringent guidelines is all I'm getting at. If we say about Jews in Jesus' day, why did they have a hang-up about the Sabbath? Guys, there was good reason. The death penalty was a good reason to keep the Sabbath. In Jeremiah 17, if you remember, Jeremiah was a prophet who lived right up into the captivity under Babylon. In Jeremiah 17, at verse 27, God says, If you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy by not carrying a load, and the Pharisees may have been thinking of this very verse when they saw a guy carrying his pallet. He's carrying a load on the Sabbath. 
carrying a load and coming in through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I shall kindle a fire in its gates, in the gates of Jerusalem, and it will devour the palaces of Jerusalem and not be quenched. God says, guys, if you don't keep my Sabbath, I'm going to burn your city to the ground. This is serious stuff. In fact, in 2 Chronicles, this was the end of the Jewish Bible. Listen to how the end of their story goes. This is describing the fall of Jerusalem and the period of captivity, 2 Chronicles 36, 19 through 21. They, this would be the Babylonians, they burned the house of God, God's temple. They broke down the wall of Jerusalem and they, bur- they burned all its fortified buildings with fire. They destroyed all its valuable articles. Those who had escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon. They were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. Let me just explain this last phrase. Not only had God told the Jews to observe the seventh of every seven days to him, but under the law the land was also to have a Sabbath every seventh year. They were not to plant their land they were not to harvest crops every seventh year God said you don't worry about it though because I'll provide for you anyway just like he had the manna the land is to rest every seventh year this is in no small part the reason God says they will be in captivity 70 years why that number there's some other reasons too but one of the important ones is this they had refused to give the land its Sabbath 70 times 490 years. They had not given the land its Sabbath. They never did. In fact, there's much of the law the Jews never kept. The year of Jubilee, as far as we know, was never kept. The land was never given its Sabbath. So the duration of their captivity, for God, he numbers it the numbers of time they failed to obey to give the land its Sabbath. So man was committed to have a Sabbath. The land itself was commanded to have a Sabbath as well. Now, You'd think they learned their lesson, right? Jerusalem is burned. They're scattered. They're taken captivity for 70 years. Listen to this in Nehemiah, though. Under Nehemiah, the Jews have returned to Jerusalem, and they're rebuilding the city. And this happens in Jeremiah 13. Jeremiah says, I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath? Did not your fathers do the same so that our God brought on us and on this city all this trouble? Yet you are adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath, by making the Sabbath day holy. So, you can imagine, if you were a Jew in Jesus' day, you live under the law, the death penalty is in place for those who profane the Sabbath, You know your own country's history. You know that God kicked you out of the land in part and destroyed your city because of a failure to keep the Sabbath. That the number of years they were in captivity were tied to the Sabbath. So they had some reasons to be seriously concerned about whether or not they kept the Sabbath. This is understandable. So on one hand, we've got original intent, Genesis 2. God invites man into his world on the day in which there's no work being done. And God says, I want you to hang out with me on this seventh day, Adam and Eve's first full day, hang out with me. And then he commands under Moses in the law, I want you, 
as it were, to show a tangible means of your devotion to me, the source of all life, by every seventh day doing nothing except hanging out with me. That's original intent. On the other hand, we've got the codified issue in the law of Moses, and we've got severe repercussions for those who fail to keep the law. So we can see there's some reason for some confusion and some concern about what we do and what we don't do on the Sabbath. So what should the Jews have understood? What should they have understood? And for that, I want to turn to Matthew 12. In Matthew 12, Jesus, who, by the way, was the lawgiver, he was the one who gave the fourth commandment on Sinai, what he had to say about the law and the Sabbath day. In Matthew 12, Jesus and his fellows are walking through the field, and they break off some grain heads. That's reaping, technically. That's work. They do this in their hands. That's, uh, what do we call that? What is it? No. Yeah, what is it when you... Thresh, thank you. That's threshing technically. We're threshing. We're working now so that they can eat a little bit of grain. And so the Pharisees chastise them. They say, hey, they're breaking the Sabbath, the law. Jesus gives a couple examples of David breaking the law with no ill repercussions. David broke the law. David, the man after God's heart, ate bread that only the priests were to have without any incrimination from God. Where he says, by the way, you know, the priests, every day they work in the temple, they're breaking the law if it's a Sabbath because they're working. And Jesus says in verse 8, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, as the lawgiver and the Lord of the Sabbath, is telling them what to make and what to think about the Sabbath day. If you stay in the same passage up through verse 14... They asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And remember that for this group of people, they not only have the law, but they have added rules upon rules that the Jews were supposed to maintain. Besides the clear law God had given, they'd added lots and lots of rules. So they asked Jesus, if he says yes, he's breaking their rules. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus says to him at verse 11, What man shall there be among you? who shall have one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? In other words, he'll work. Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Jesus' conclusion is this. The Lord of the Sabbath says this. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. The Pharisees went out and counseled together against him as to how they might destroy him. Jesus claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath. He can interpret for us what it means and what we're to do or not do. And he concludes that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And that includes healing. Now, contrast that with the Pharisees. What are they doing on the Sabbath day? The day distinctly set apart to hang out with God? They're planning on how to murder the Son of God. That's what they're doing on the Sabbath. Mark 2:27 is a parallel passage to Matthew, and I want to read one verse from there. Jesus says in Mark 2:27, "The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant to be a benefit to man, not a curse. 
Man doesn't serve the day. The day is there to serve man. So if we go back to original intent in Genesis 2, man is brought in when the work is done. And Jesus knows all this. He was there. Man's brought in when the work is done. God invites man not to labor for him, but to rest with him. And God's creation of the Sabbath was meant to bless man, not to curse him. If I have a good friend and I'm exceptionally lonely, or let's say I'm a father and all my kids are grown and gone from home, and they know dad's, poor dad's sitting at home all by himself and lonely, and I give them a call and I say, you know, would you do me a favor? Would you just come over and spend an hour with me this afternoon? I'm really down and I'd appreciate your fellowship. And so Rachel comes over and for five minutes she sits down with me and says, there, there, Dad. And we talk for five minutes, and then she gets up and she says, you know, it looks like the kitchen needs to be cleaned up, Dad, and uh, let me get to some of your laundry, and I'll sweep the hall while I'm thinking about it. And You know, I might say, Rachel, that's all well and good, but I didn't ask you here to do the laundry or sweep the hall. I just want to sit, I just want you to sit down and spend some time with me. She says, no, that's okay, Dad, let me take care of you by getting all this work done for you. What's she really saying? She's saying the work is more important than I am. The work is more important than Dad. Not a good thing to say on Father's Day, by the way. <laughs> she says she values the work and the activity more than she values me. And I think that gets to the essence of the Sabbath law. God says he's the priority. Love me, I'm life, love me and dedicate one day out of seven to me. Now, if that's the heart of the Sabbath, read that back into John 5, verse 17. When the Jews question Jesus about his activity on the Sabbath, this is what he says. My father is working until now, and I myself am working. Jesus says, my father's working till now, and I myself am working. In a nutshell, he's saying this. On the Sabbath day, I'm hanging out with my dad. And on this Sabbath day, my dad happens to be healing a lame man at the pool of Bethesda. But do you see, according to original intent, Jesus is a perfect example of honoring God and honoring the Sabbath because he's hanging out with his dad. That was the thought. In a sense, it doesn't matter what dad was doing. In fact, elsewhere, Jesus says, all that I do, it's only what I see my dad do. It's like I'm walking with my dad side by side. And in Jesus' case, that would mean it wouldn't matter what day of the week was. His relationship was always the same with the father. So he perfectly honored the Sabbath because he was always honoring his father and hanging out with dad. So whatever dad was doing, Junior was doing, the son was doing. So in John 5, in the healing, Jesus is the perfect example of someone honoring the Sabbath. He did good. The day served a man who needed serving, healing, and he was doing it all in the context of fellowship with his Father. Jesus, the one who gave the law, Jesus, the one who sat at the end of creation and gave or sanctified, set apart the Sabbath, says in John 5, I am honoring the Sabbath because I'm honoring my father. I'm hanging out with my father. 
sometimes there's confusion for Christians today about Sabbath keeping, and you may, you may be one. You may be mistaken, like many others that think that there's a Sabbath to keep. I don't want to be too hard here. Eric Little, if you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire, he would not run on Sunday. Now, I tip my hat to the guy's devotion, but I think theologically he was all wet. <clears throat> First, if you want to keep the Sabbath, you need to do it on Saturday. It's not Sunday. The Sabbath is not Sunday. The Sabbath is the seventh day. That's Saturday. And by the way, it's not just Saturday. It's Friday evening. It's a Saturday evening. So if you're going to make a theological point to keep the Sabbath, do it right. You do it with the Jews, Friday evening to Saturday evening. <clears throat> the problem for that with a Christian, however, is that you will not find this enjoined on Christians anywhere in the New Testament. It is not to be found. The closest passage you can find on this is out of Hebrews 4, in which it says, There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. However, it's using Sabbath rest in a very broad, wide sense, and it says, Those who believe in Christ have entered God's rest. That's the Sabbath rest God gives us. It's believing. We're hooked up with our dad and we're rested. And in that sense, it's because salvation, the greatest work, creation was hard, sort of. I mean, for God, maybe not, but it was a big job. Redemption was harder. And in Hebrews 4, the Sabbath we're enjoined to keep is to trust in Christ and to enter his rest. No work for us for redemption. No work for us for salvation. It's all done, just like God's creation was done when he brings in Adam. We're freeloaders, guys. God says, hey, come and sit down because the work is done. Come hang out with me. Beyond that, if you look at the New Testament, I don't want to follow this dog too far, but if you look in uh, Acts 15, for instance, Gentile converts want to know, what do we have to do? So the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem write them a letter and say, these are the minimums you must do to be okay with God and us. And they say, in essence, avoid idolatry and immorality. Now, if the Sabbath was important, this was the time to tell them, and it's not mentioned. This is an argument for silence. I, from silence, I understand, and that's not a great argument. However, Romans 14 Paul talks to Christians and he says, some of you are weak in faith. And so you don't eat meat. And these are probably Jewish Christians. And they don't eat meat because they're afraid that they're going to eat the wrong meat. Meat that might have been sacrificed to an idol. They don't understand Paul's arguments that he makes in 1 Corinthians in which he says there's no idol. There is no God behind those statues. So anything that God created everything, if you eat a piece of meat, you ate a piece of meat. You give thanks to him, you're good to go. They don't know that because their faith, and when he says faith in Romans 14, he's actually talking about their knowledge, their understanding of God and God's things. He says, so you don't eat meat. And that's okay. He doesn't chastise them for that. But he also says those who are also weak in faith, they observe certain days as better than other days, like the Sabbath. And he says, that's okay for you too, because if you celebrate a day, you celebrate it for the Lord. And those who observe every day alike, they celebrate every day alike for the Lord too. So that's okay. He talks in Galatians 4 and he says, this is not a positive, you observe days, months, seasons, and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. These were converts to Christianity who were wanting to go back to the Jewish law because they weren't sure Christ had done enough. 
and they thought they needed to keep Jewish rules, among which were observing days, months, seasons, and years, and key among them, of course, is the Sabbath. And to put the period on the end of this sentence, in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Paul says this, Let no one act as your judge, let no one act as your judge, in regard to food, what you eat, or drink, or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. These are all Jewish elements under the law. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul says to people who thought they had to keep an element of the law, the Sabbath day, he says, guys, that stuff is just shadows from the past. None of that is the issue. The substance belongs to Christ. Jews today keep the Sabbath and reject Christ. Of what value do you think Sabbath keeping is? It's, there is none. Christ is the substance. We don't need to worry about new moons and Sabbaths. In John 5, Jesus was doing exactly what God wanted him to. He was hanging out with his dad. And his dad happened to be healing a lame man by a pool. And so that's what Jesus did. He did good on the Sabbath. This was God's original intent. This was God's original intent. Jesus was the best of sons to his father on Father's Day, so to speak, the Sabbath. <clears throat> this is a great Father's Day reminder, I think. And Dad's... Uh, you know, I couldn't think of anything better you could do than invite your kids, grown or small, to your fellowship, to your fellowship. That's what the Father did to Adam and Eve. It's what God does for us now today through Christ. Um, I was going to tell you something, and I absolutely blew it out of my mind. Father's Day, dads, kids. Oh, well. What? Yeah, I don't know. I lose all. I, you know, that's the trouble, Paulette. I'm almost 50, right? <laughs> the little gray cells don't work well anymore, or not as well. Um, you know, and if you're a child with a father, a living father, you know, one of the greatest things you can do is just go hang out with your dad. This is a good thing. You know, if you apply this spiritually, too, the best thing any of us can do related to our father is to hang out with our dad spiritually. And not to be too convicting, but are you hanging out with your dad lately? And very practically, did you get up this morning and read your Bible, see what your dad might want to say to you? Did you talk to him about what was in your day and what was on your heart and what your issues were? Did you talk to your dad today? Today's Sunday, but will you do it tomorrow or Tuesday? You know, <clears throat> we are called... Salvation is about being called into the fellowship of God. It's a relationship. And now it's a redeemed relationship. We're not just creatures, created beings like Adam and Eve. Now we're sons and daughters. And our dad's just interested in one thing. That's us and our heart. That's all he wants. He doesn't want much. He just wants all of us. So when you're thinking about Father's Day in a spiritual sense, are you hanging out with your dad? And not just on Sunday. You know, to tip your hat to God on Sunday 
in some religious observance is in my mind one of the heights of hypocrisy because then we're like the Pharisees in John 5. We observe a day as if God gives a rip about the day because it's a day. He's after our hearts. He's after more than external religious compliance. He's after our hearts. That's what he wants. So when we go through any kind of religious observance as a religious observance, he is totally unimpressed. It's not what he's after. He's after our hearts. My daughters gave me a Father's Day present this morning, and they gave me a portrait of themselves. It's a great picture. One of their friends, Hannah, took it. And it's got all four of their faces scrunched up together in one big portrait so I can look at them and I can see them all together. In other words, they gave me themselves. So you know what? I'll look at that picture. I don't know where we're going to hang it up. But I'll look at that picture, and then I'll remember this Father's Day. And I'll remember my daughters love me. And they gave me this reminder. They gave me themselves on this Father's Day. But you know what? The truth is they do that every day. And the picture will be a reminder of that. My girls love me. They like me. They like to hang out with me. This is all I'm after. And I know, I've, I, know I have their hearts. That's what, that's what I'm after. I'm going to close with a poem that I know I have read before, but I just think this goes so well with this morning. God's original intent for the Sabbath is that we hang out with him. There's no work to do. It's like coming home on a, a holiday where mom's already made all the food and we just get to come in and sit down at the table and hang out with mom and dad and enjoy the meal together. Listen, I think Robert Frost captures the essence of the Sabbath. I don't think this was on his mind, but it's on mine. It's called The Pasture. It's very short. And it's an invitation. He says, I'm going out to clean the pasture spring. I'll only stop to rake the leaves away and wait to watch the water clear, I may. I shan't be gone long, but you come too. I'm going out to fetch the little calf that's standing by her mother. It's so young, it totters when she licks it with her tongue. I shan't be gone long, you come too. That's what this is all about. God's saying, guys, you come too. It's an invitation. Lord, help us to be humble enough, wise enough, hungry enough, needy enough to say we'll come too. Lord, thanks that the Sabbath was made for us, not us for it. Lord, thanks that ever and always all you've ever wanted was us. Not religious observance, not law-keeping, not external compliance. Lord, frankly, in the end, of course, you want more than that. You want our hearts. You want our lives. Father, I pray on Father's Day you would help make us sons and daughters like Jesus, hanging out with his dad, seeing what his dad's doing, and going along with his dad. Lord, the thought that you make us your sons and daughters, that you elevate us to the heights of heaven, co-rulers with your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is beyond our comprehension. Lord, we are ants that are being raised up to rule with giants. Thanks that your plans for us go beyond a day of the week or one out of seven, Lord, that you've reserved eternity for us. 
the eternal now in which we'll sit with you, we'll rule with you, we'll reign with you, Lord, best of all, we'll simply be in your presence face to face. Help us to honor you, Lord, as our Father. Lord, help us to remember you day by day, not with guilty consciences, but, Lord, by sitting down with you, by hearing from you in your word, by telling you the things that are on our heart and mind. Thanks that you love us, Lord, and we give you this day, and we give you tomorrow, and we give you next day, and we give you eternity, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.